let's dive into our second week of Win at Home. Win at Home, if you were here last week, you remember that we talked about choosing our values, leading myself well, and how we can inspire and model uh, for our family. You know, you can't legislate the heart, you can't change other people, but you can inspire and model through your leadership. Why? Because for as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so today, um, we're going to talk about creating an atmosphere of love. And so I just titled this message, Love is in the House, right? Isn't that just fun to say? Love's in the house. And so how do we get the love in the house? And so uh, all of our messages are online. So if you last, missed last week, I encourage you to jump online and check it out and get caught up. But today, creating an atmosphere of love. You know, I like to think of this whole topic that we're talking about today as kind of like the thermostat on the wall. There's a difference between the thermostat on the wall and a thermometer, right? A lot of times we just, we're thermometers and we just react to whatever the temperature is in the room. Um, but, but when it comes to leading our home and winning at home, we need to be more like the thermostat, right? That we're setting the temperature, that we're saying, hey, this is how it's going to be. And, and it's going to be that way because of my choices. Not because of things I can't control, but because of what I can control. I can walk over to the thermostat of my home, the thermostat of my life and say, hey, I'm going to turn up the love temperature, right? You know what I mean? And so how do we set it on love, how do we turn the, 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 um, the thermostat of our homes to love? Here's some traditional ways that I'm sure that you know about. You know, the number one thing that people think about when they think of love in the home is romance, right? And sometimes this happens spontaneously, right? When that certain song comes on that maybe got played at your wedding or, or that was playing on that first date. And it's like, oh, I remember that moment. And then sometimes... And more often, especially after you get married, the romance happens on purpose. You have to be intentional. You have to be, in, you know, do it on purpose. There's also moments. I think moments create love in a home. What kind of moments? You know, maybe the rites of passage kind of moments. The first time your kid goes to kindergarten, right? It's one of those things you never forget. You take the pictures and it breaks your heart. I remember the first time we put... Uh, our oldest, the very first one to go through this, on the bus to go off to school, me and Jolie just shut the door and just began to cry, you know? It was like we were just bawling our eyes out because our first kid just went to kindergarten. There's graduations, there's birthdays, there's weddings. Thank goodness, man, I haven't had to marry off one of my kids yet. I'm dreading the day. There's the day when they get their license or their permit. Just a few weeks ago, my son got his license, and it's like, what are his permit? not his license, his permit. And it's just like, what is going on here? But it's these moments that bind us together, right? Maybe you've gone through the whole empty nest routine and it's a moment that it's like, that, that's a marker for your family. And these moments can create love. Maybe retirement. The moment that you and your spouse, and you're like, hey, we're done working. We just get to focus 100% on us that can create love moments you know people try to boil it down to quality time or quantity time I think it's both I, I think the whole the whole uh, thought of just oh we just need quality time my kids don't know what quality time is they want quantity time <laughs> they want it all right and 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 it's like enough is never enough and so 
it's through these moments. You know, I love the spontaneous moments of going and getting ice cream. Um, my favorite ice cream at this, this custard shop was chocolate ice cream with raspberries. And it was my, one of my kids' favorite too. And so it's like the taste of that bring back memories of love. Why? Because moments create love. One of the moments in my family that really sticks out uh, growing up, well, it was a vacation, a month-long vacation where we drove all the way to Portland, Oregon, and then we came back and um, went to Glacier National Park, Yellowstone, Black Hills, and it's like we were in the car for a month, and, I, and somehow we didn't kill each other. But at Glacier National Park, me and my brothers were climbing up above this waterfall on the rocks, and my mom's like, Gary, go get those boys, Right? And that's dangerous. And so my dad comes up after us and he slips and falls into the waterfall, right? He gets rushed down the river and it's only funny today because he made it out in one piece and didn't get hurt, right? But we're able to laugh about it and we're able to look back with such fond memories. Why? Because of that moment that we share together. With my family now, as, as I have kids, Man, we, we had so many cool moments just riding our bikes down to the beach where we used to live and hanging out at the lake and going on the swing set and taking walks down a gravel road and watching the sunset. All these moments that it's like, man, these are the moments that draw us together. One, one friend of mine, he said, you know what? We made a decision as our family to invest in experiences rather than stuff. And I love that. Because when you invest in the experiences, you're creating moments that bind your family together in love. What's another way that love plays out in our home? Conversations, loving conversations, times of encouragement, times of laughter. You know, this is kind of a funny season I'm going through with my kids because I have two teenage boys in the house. And so how many of you know it's like, man, when they're younger, you talk a lot. And when they get to be teenagers, it's like the conversation kind of goes away and it just turns into grunts you know what I mean it's like hey how's it going you know hey hey do this and it's like they they they, they speak in another language now but I just have to learn how to interpret interpret that and so but conversations loving laughter playing games what about conflict Conflict is an opportunity to, for love to be shown in the home. I love this quote. Tension or conflict or disagreements is actually the platform that gives you an opportunity to demonstrate that your home is a safe place. Right? Every time there's a conflict, you can look at, oh, this is an opportunity to set the thermostat on love. When we don't get along, what do we do? And then... The fifth way that is just, to me, it's incredibly obvious, and I think it's the most important way that you show love in the home, food. Right? How many of you, some of your best memories in the home are surrounded by a really good meal? Right? And so, but all this is really good. You know, I think food is the ultimate glue that holds families together, just because my stomach runs a lot of my life, right? I'm just that kind of person. But there has to be a foundation under all this stuff. Under the conversations, under the conflict, under the moments that are amazing and you're taking the pictures and you're posting them to Instagram and it, and it looks like your life is perfect, right? There's gotta be a foundation under that 
or else all those just become superficial because everybody has moments. You know, it's kind of a normal thing to go through those rites of passage, to have troubles and to overcome them. And so there's got to be something deeper. And that's what we're talking about today. There's got to be this foundation. And so we're going to look in a passage in Romans chapter 12 today that normally doesn't get used for family talk. But we're going to use it because it's such a good framework today. And so turn to Romans 12.1. And let's listen to the first verse. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a very popular verse. If you don't have this verse memorized, I'd encourage you to put it on your fridge. And this is a great verse to memorize and get in your heart. And so Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him, right? And so it says, give your bodies, your lives to God as a holy and acceptable sacrifice. This is how you really worship God. Now, let me give a little backstory and context in the book of Romans. For the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul laid out theology talked about salvation. Maybe you've heard of the Romans road and basically there's verses in Romans that you can use to help show people kind of the path to salvation. That God loves you for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there's all this really amazing content in Romans about how you and I can be saved and set free from a life of sin. And there were more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing book. And so 11 chapters of really great explanation about God and his plan for us and the fall of man and, and, and salvation and all this great stuff. And then... In Romans chapter 12, it starts off with these two incredible words, and so. And so because of all this good stuff that God did, here's what we get to do. And so because of how Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, because he laid his life down as a living sacrifice for you, here's how now that can flesh out in your life and in your home. And here's how you can win in relationships right? And so basically this verse is telling us mirror what Jesus did for you in your life. And so in my pursuit of loving my family, Jesus is the model. So give yourself to God, living sacrifice. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then And here's where we're at today. We're going to get specific. These verses get up in your grill. They get up in your business. They make you uncomfortable. These are verses that sometimes you just want to cross out of the Bible because you're like, I don't know if I can do that on my own. Right? So number one, how do we win at home? How do we create an atmosphere of love in our home? How do we get love in the house? Number one, Don't think you are better than you really are. Verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, literally says in the New Living Translation, don't think you are better than you really are. What do we need to get out of this? That pride is a stench in the nostrils of God. Pride 
destroys relationships. I found this quote and I love it. Man, I'm going to be using this one for a long time. It says, pride is to relationships as cyanide is to health. Pride is poison in your relationships. It's something that man feels so good, but destroys your relationships. Don't think you're better than you really are. Here's another great quote as a handle to kind of get your head wrapped around this concept. A pride contest has no winner because nobody likes the winner. A pride contest has no winner because nobody likes the winner. If so, if you and I in our relationships, if we can't get over ourselves and realize that, man, I'm really not better than you. I'm just another person trying to love and trying to get through life. And I'm not going to think higher myself than I should because that's going to set me up in a horrible place for relationships. And I've got to keep that humble heart. Have you ever finished a family discussion and, and man, you just... And when I say a family discussion, I'm like in quotations, a family discussion. Okay, you argued, like knock down, drag out. Maybe some things were thrown and something got broken and, and no one felt good, right? Why? Because a pride contest has no winner and no one likes the winner. You know, pride is something that turns the love thermostat to sub-zero, like, if you want to go the negative direction on the love thermostat, just be prideful. This is something that's so easy to spot in others, and it's difficult to spot in me, right? It's so easy to see when other people are prideful, and then it hurts really bad when I realize, man, I've been the one who's been prideful. Here's some signs that you might have a pride issue. And, man, some of these really ring true for me. And so this, 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 this hits the spot today. You might have a pride issue when you think you're humble. Right? You might have a pride issue when you listen to respond, not to understand. Ouch. Been there, done that. You might have a pride issue when you hold grudges. You might have a pride issue when you... Passive-aggressively retaliate. Any passive-aggressive people out there? You might have a pride issue when you aggressively retaliate. <laughs> Since it's really easy to spot in other people but hard to spot in me, what do we do? What do we do with this whole issue of pride in relationships? I think a really good way to deal with it is to just assume that it's me. Right? I'm just going to assume it's me. Focus on me. I'm going to take personal responsibility for what I can control, and the only person's pride that I can control is my own. And so when I w enter a relationship, I'm just going to say, hey, you know, I'm probably not doing this right, so I'm going to be open to correction. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, what does James mean when he says, God gives grace to the humble. What kind of humble? What does it look like to be a humble person? If you go and read that passage in James, James 4, 6, the humble described here is kind of extreme. It's probably more extreme than you and I are thinking when it comes to relationships. Listen to what he says in James 4, 9 through 10. 
So when he's describing humble, here's what he says. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. And so back in Romans 12, when Paul says, hey, in relationships, don't think you're better than you really are. He's saying, be humble. Have an honest evaluation of yourself. And man, when I get honest with myself, most of the time, there's tears. When I get honest with myself, there's deep sorrow because I messed up. And most of the time in relationships, um, it's, it's never all one person. Man, I, I, I played a huge part in the puzzle of brokenness. And so what's, a, what's just a, a really good handle that we could take moving forward when it comes to this issue of pride? When you get real, you can really grow. When you get real with yourself, have an honest evalu- evaluation of who you are and, and, and where you're at and what you've contributed to the, 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 the love ther- thermostat in your family, you can really grow. You can take some strides when you put pride behind you. Number two, how do you turn up the love thermostat in your family? You don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. And by that, I don't mean like don't cut your finger when you're cutting the vegetables. I don't mean don't trip and fall down the stairs. I don't mean stuff like that. Let's unpack this. In verse 5 in Romans 12, it says, We're many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. It goes on to talk about, man, if you have gifts, be sure to use those gifts to serve others. And so what what can we deduce from this? I'm a part of a body. I'm a part of a family. Sometimes it's a church family. Sometimes it's a literal family. And so if I'm going to operate in a healthy way in that family, I need to use what God has given me to serve the other people in my family. And if we're a body, right, if my toe hurts, my whole body hurts, right? If there's some portion of my body that isn't functioning properly, then it's hurting the whole body. So when I don't serve and do my part, when I don't invest personally in the health of my family by bringing my best to the table and serving the other people in my family, who am I actually hurting? myself. And so don't hurt yourself. Bring your best to the table. Serve each other in your family. What's the opposite of serving? Selfishness. What's the opposite of serving? Self-centeredness. That it's going to be about me and what I want all the time. You see, when I act selfishly, it doesn't only hurt others, it hurts me and I'm hurting my family. What's the third thing that we need to do if we're going to turn up the love thermostat in our home? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Easier said than done, right? In verse 9, this is literally what it says. Don't just pretend. Really love. Really love them. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It goes on to say, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Now, this is a tough verse because it's like in a family, 
you know each other. You know the good, you know the bad, you know the ugly, right? You don't know one family member in your life that you don't have some dirt on, right? And maybe sometimes in, in, those, in those intense family discussions, you're like, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to put you know what on Facebook. You know, a little, little, little family blackmail. Um, why? Because we all know stuff about each other, especially in the family that we're not proud of. And so when we put this into practice and we're like, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. When you're in family, you're looking at each other through this filter of, but I know that about you. And I know that about you. And that makes it really hard to love you. Right? And so what do we do? And so I love that it's like, man, really love each other. And then it says, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. And it's like, that's it. That's the key. It doesn't mean that you ignore the bad things. It doesn't mean that, man, I just put up with anything that you do in your life because I'm just going to love you regardless. No, sometimes you need to say, hey, you need to stop that. It's being hurtful to me and to the family. But I'm going to do my best to do for you what Jesus has done for me. You see, aren't you glad that Jesus hated what was wrong in your life, but he held tightly to what was good in you? He held tightly to the fact that he created you, that you're his child, that you were worth dying for, that you were worth suffering for. Isn't that a good thing? See, you will always see wrong in others, but God is calling us to hold tightly to the best in them, kind of like he did for you and for me when he died for us on the cross. So what am I going to do for the members of my family? I'm going to assume the best. I'm going to do my best to assume the best about them. Even when I know different, I'm going to assume the best. I know some of you are probably listening to this and you're like, Joe, that is easier said than done because you don't know my family. And so what do we do? What do we do when you don't feel it? What do you do when circumstances are less than ideal? Here's how I process, and hopefully it's helpful to you. It's really hard to have continuing hard feelings for someone that you're actively praying for. It's really hard. It's really hard to be like, I hate you, I hate you, when I'm crying out to Jesus for you. It's really hard to be like continually holding a grudge towards somebody that, that you're going to, into prayer for and interceding for, right? Why is that? Because when you pray, the goal is to align your heart with God's. When you pray, you're, seeing, you're saying, God, give me your heart. Help me to see how you see. Jesus, help me to act how you act. And so get this, when you align your heart with God's heart, then you ask yourself the question, what is in God's heart? Love. What is in God's heart for people? Love. How does God feel about people, even bad people? He loves them. Right? And so how do you love an unlovable person? And every single one of us has an unlovable person in our family. And sometimes it's you. And sometimes it's me. Right? We pray for them. We lift them up. We do our best to see them as Christ sees them. 
You see, when you, you give your life to Christ, and I hope if you haven't given your life to Christ yet, you do so today. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. He sees a life that has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And so what Paul is doing in this passage is, is encouraging you and I to look at the other people in our family the same way that he looks at you. Isn't that a cool thing? So how do I not just pretend to love other people? How do I really love them even when I know all this stuff about them? I say, God, help me to see them like you do. The fourth thing that we do, and we're going to close with this today. If I am going to turn up the love thermostat in my life and in my house, and I'm going to win at home when it comes to loving my family members, I've got to flip fair on its head. I've got to turn it upside down. Everything that I knew about life being fair and things being even and things being just like a total compromise all the time, like you get yours and I get mine, it's got to go out the window. I got to flip fair on its head. What does Paul encourage us to do here in verse 17? He says, never, everybody say never. Never, never pay back evil with more evil. In verse 19, he says, dear friends, never, everybody say never. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Now, I do think that some people have an easier time at this than others. Some people easily let go of grudges. Some people really hold on to them. But it doesn't matter where you fall in that spectrum. Never means never. And every single one of us mess up when it comes to this. This is one of those verses, like I said earlier, that you just kind of want to cross out of the Bible. And so how do we do this? How do we flip fair on its head? Here's some just really practical um, ways to do that. First of all, don't go all historical in each other, right? But he never, but she never, but they always. But I remember back in 1976 when you did that, right? We love to do that. Don't do it. Flip fair on its head. Don't default to excuses. Well, I would do that, but they. I would do that, but. Right? Don't do it. Later on in this passage, it says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Isn't that kind of a funny picture? It's like, and sometimes the enemy's in the house. Let's just get real. Sometimes the person that we're most frustrated with is under the same roof. And so what do I do if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do it God's way? I'm gonna feed them. I'm gonna make sure their needs are taken care of. I'm gonna give them something to drink figuratively. I'm gonna, I'm gonna elevate their needs above my own. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not an admonition to you today to stay in an unsafe situation. If, you're, if your home is unsafe or you're being harmed or somebody's, uh, you know, harming you, then, then you might need to have some separation there for a little bit until it becomes safe again. And so I'm not saying, don't, don't misread what I'm saying, that you need to overlook every offense no matter what it is and just submit. No, if you need to be safe, be safe. But this is a challenge to display undeserved grace to others like Jesus did for you. 
undeserved grace for others like Jesus did for you. In verse 18, it says, if possible. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Love that. As far as it depends on you, and I love this language because it's not like focusing on what the other person does or did or, or the ways that they're a jerk or the ways that they mess up. It's like, as far as it depends on you, take personal responsibility and live at peace with everyone. Why? Because it's exactly what Jesus did for you. It's exactly what he did for you. You see, aren't you glad that Jesus never played the fair game when it came to holding you accountable? Aren't you glad that Jesus never, you know, said, but, you know, he doesn't look at you and said, but remember what you did? No, he casts your sin as far as the east is from the west. He loves you that much. Listen, you can be fair, but suck the love right out of your home at the same time. You can be right and be so wrong at the same time. It's not worth it. We need to do what Jesus did. We need to, just like in Philippians where it says, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, by being obedient to death on a cross. And so you're like, what's the standard for relationships in my home? It's like, hey, I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna put you first, I'm gonna be second, because that's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for me. And it's like, well, well, I don't know if they're gonna appreciate it. You know what? I'm just gonna do it anyway. Well, I, I don't know if they're gonna ever reciprocate. No, I'm just gonna do it anyway. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. When Jesus died for you and for me on the cross, he didn't say, I'm gonna do this, but you better do X, and X, Y, and Z. He didn't do that. In fact, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Did you know that Jesus died for even people in the world that will never accept him he had that much hope he said you know what even if it's never reciprocated I'm, I'm still dying for you and for you and for you and maybe you're here today and you're you're far from God and you're just checking things out maybe your mom drug you here this morning and you're like I'm just here for her well God's looking at you today and he's saying you know what I even died for you and even if you never put your faith in me, even if you never trust me, even if you never believe in me, that doesn't change the fact that when I died on that cross and I was beaten and I was whipped, poured myself out, I did it for you. And then when Paul says, hey, give your lives as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, it's your reasonable act of service. It's like my only response in the relationships in my home is to do the exact same for those that I love, right? So how do you win at home? To win your heart, Jesus lost his life. And so sometimes winning at home means losing in the short term so you can win in the long term.
If Jesus had his, to lose his life to win your heart, then maybe sometimes we gotta take second place so that our home can win, right? I love how this comes naturally to moms. And so moms, we celebrate you today because so many of you, 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 you just serve, and you serve, and you serve, and you're underappreciated. And so we love you so much. But for every single one of us here, I think we all can receive this challenge today. That God, help me. Help me to put myself second. Help me to serve my family without any expectation of anything in return. Help me to serve with a pure heart, God. Help me to love them like you love them. Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me to love my family the way that you love them. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today. If you need to give your heart and your life to Christ today, you just say, man, Jesus did that for me. The first step I want to take is, is giving him my life. If that's you today, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. You say, I want, I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I want to say, hey, God, here's my life. And you're ready to take that step today. If that's you, just raise your hand today. Amen. If you're here today and you're saying, Joe, my, my home, there's some, there's some broken things. And I want to just ask God to do some healing in my home today. I need to ask God to do some healing in the relationships in my life today. And I need God to help me love my family, just like we talked about from Romans 12 today. If that's you and you just say, Joe, I, I, I need a little extra love from Jesus for my family today and I, and I need just a heart change. If that's you, just raise your hand today. I'd love to pray for you and your family. Amen. Jesus, I pray for those with their hands raised right now, whatever the family situation is, whatever the relational dynamics are, God, whatever is going on, I just pray for peace in Jesus' name. God, I pray for healing in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you help every single person with an upraised hand to just say, you know what? I'm gonna love. Even when it's not reciprocated, I'm gonna put them first. I'm gonna do what Jesus did for me to my family. This is where the rubber meets the road, God. And I wanna, where the rubber meets the road, I wanna do it your way. I wanna love my family your way, Jesus. God, we surrender. We give our hearts to you. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.